Now we know from Romans chapter 12 that we're transformed by the renewing of our minds, how important it is to wash our minds and keep our minds washed in the Word of God. And we know that according to the Scripture in Corinthians that we are being changed, transformed from degree of glory to degree of glory by the Spirit of God. It's so important you understand that. And whether you realize it or not today, that by being here, God's transforming your life. There are supernatural things happening with you just being here. And a very carnal Christian does not understand that. They don't see any benefit. Well, it's just a service, you know. I've been to lots of those services. You understand that by obeying the Lord, by being here, it opens up a door to hit for you to become more like He is in image and values, amen, in beliefs and power and purpose in terms of destiny. So it matters. But there are things you have to deal with if you're going to see this transformation move forward because there is something that will absolutely kill your transformation if you don't deal with it in your heart and in your life. I want to go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. If you want to follow along, I'm going to read this to you from the Classic Amplified. 2 Timothy 2, 24. And the scripture says, And the servant of the Lord must not be quarrelsome, fighting or contending. Instead, he must be kindly to everyone, and mild-tempered, preserving the bond of peace. He must be skilled and suitable teacher, patient and forbearing and willing to suffer wrong. Now what that really means is the servant of the Lord must not be in strife. I want you to say that with me. The servant of the Lord must not be in strife. Shout it out with all your heart. The servant of the Lord must not be in strife. Raise your hand if you're a servant of the Lord. Well, then guess what? You must not be, you must not live, you must not dwell in a thing called strife. The Bible says in James 3.16, For where envy and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. There are Christians who find themselves involved in things they would never think they'd be involved in, and that was not the front door. The front door was strife. The front door is there at war in their heart with somebody else. It can be a relative, it can be a spouse, it can be somebody in the church that they work with from their past. It can be somebody that is dead and six feet under, and yet you're still at war with that person in your heart. John Bevere said it like this, An offended heart is the breeding ground for deception. I see legions of Christians across the body of Christ walking in deception, deception on doctrine, deception on ministry, deception on their families, deception on all areas of life. And it didn't start with the lie. It started with the inability to discern the deception because of the power of offense and strife. Offense basically means a stumbling block, something that you fall over, something that offends. It's something that hinders your forward progress. But the strife is actually the manifestation of that offense. If you're in strife with somebody, it's because there's a deeper issue going on in your life. He also said our ability to respond to offense correctly determines our future. If you don't deal with offense and strife correctly, it's going to hinder your future. And one of the reasons is it is what I call a transformation killer. Whatever progress God had in mind for you this year will be compromised if you don't deal with the issues that are latent in your heart. And listen, you can't say that you're different, that you're special, that you don't know what I've gone through. Everybody in this room has a story of somebody stabbing them in the back, betraying them, hurting them, doing things against them, talking ugly about them. That's not the issue. The issue is what do you do as a believer to make sure you deal with it properly so your transformation can move forward? And I've watched this through the years. When someone takes offense, when somebody gets into strife, that's the very day they stop growing. You find them five years from now, 
10 years from now, 25 years from now, and they'll be in the same exact place spiritually because they can't progress as long as they're holding on to the thing called offense and a thing called strife. Can I have an amen today? Amen. We talked about this a little bit on Wednesday, and I'm not going to go through all these with you in terms of the scriptures. You can get the, uh, the message on MP3. But there are reasons that people get into strife and offense. So behind the strife is offense. Behind the offense are some conditions in our lives. If we'll watch for those and judge those, then you and I can be free from offense. Because what somebody wants you to believe when they're offended is, you did or said something to me that caused me to be offended. No one can cause you to be offended. No one can make you get into strife. That's all a decision or a response. So why would somebody come to that conclusion that, hey, they made me, I got into offense because of them, it's their fault. And it doesn't make any difference, you know, uh, you know how long you might have been good to a person. You, you rub them wrong one time and everything else is forgotten. You see, it's like this. We want to be judged by the totality of our behavior over a span of a life. Are you hearing me? And sometimes, though, we will judge someone on a sliver of time. On the one thing they didn't do right. And zero in on that. You know, the devil just sits back and he just claps and he says, Well done, thou unfaithful servant. That's why we're either all going to have to walk in mercy or we might as well just quit right now because without it, we are not progressing in the things of God. And all the things that are in my heart to talk to you this year, the wonderful things and the promises of transformation and how He'll take every dimension of your life this year and transform it for His glory. You haven't even begun to see what God has for you this year. I hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those that love Him. But this year, He's going to reveal so much of that to you. So as a messenger of that good news, I have a responsibility to make sure that your heart is ready to move forward in that transformation. You've carried this junk too long. You've carried the strife too long. You've been an offense long enough. It's time to come out and be free in Jesus' name. Because the only one being hindered by it is you. The kind of person gets into strife, a greedy person gets into strife because they perceive somebody has something they want. A prideful person gets into strife. You know what? It's very difficult to deal with people in offense and strife because of the pride issue. Everybody say pride. pride. Goes before destruction. A haughty spirit before what? You know, it doesn't work for you. But the issue is when you have the pride, that's actually facilitating the offense. And so when God deals with you about strife, if you're too prideful, then you won't let him have his way in your life. I was listening to Happy Caldwell from Agape Church, and he was saying that years ago at a believer's convention, James Robinson was preaching. How do you know James can preach hot and heavy on hell? So hot you can almost feel the flames, amen? <laughs> and he was preaching, and there's an altar call, and just the altar was just filled with people, and God was, was moving powerfully. I think they said that Matt Gober actually gave the altar call for this, and he's with Jesus now. But he was sitting there as a preacher, and then all of a sudden the speaker said, and you preachers need to come down here and repent too. And so the Lord began to deal happy. I want you to come down there, and I want you to respond to this altar call. And he's like, well, I think I'm right with you. <laughs> I think I'm okay. But the Lord said, I want you to go. And so he had to get out in front of all these people in the middle of a row there, and he has to go past all these folks, and all these people are just going like that. There, there, bless him, Lord, bless him, Lord. When they probably need to be in the altar too. You understand what I'm saying? Oh, bless him, Lord, whatever he needs. <laughs> and so he finally gets out. There's nowhere to go because everybody's crammed the aisles. They've crammed the altar area. 
And he's like, Lord, what, what did you want me to do that? And he goes, well, that, uh, that pride thing really stings, doesn't it? And told him. And he said basically that don't you ever get to a place where you're so prideful that you can't do what I've told you to do. And God is wanting to tell some people today, get out of the, get out of the offense, get out of the strife, and let go of the pride that's precipitating that. It's not just greed. It's not just pride. It's a thing called dishonesty. You're not being honest about the situation. The Bible says an envious person stirs up strife. Somebody who wants something somebody else has. A jealous person stirs up strife. They want a relationship somebody else has. A angry person stirs up strife. Look at somebody and say, I'm delivered from it in Jesus' name. A hateful person, the Bible says, stirs up strife. A foolish person stirs up strife. A worldly person stirs up strife. A lustful person stirs up strife. James says you fight and you war because of the lust that are within you. You can't have what you want because you're actually not asking according to what the Word says. And when you do, you ask amiss. Well, behind that is a thing called lust. And the Bible says an insolent person is a person who stirs up strife. What is an insolent person? This person is prideful to the point of rudeness and disrespect. How many of you know Christians shouldn't be running around rude and disrespectful? And when you see that operating in your life, you know there is a fence there as well. The Bible says a sinful person stirs up strife, Proverbs 17, 19. Well, in Proverbs 6, 19, the Bible says there are six things the Lord hates. There are seven that are detestable to him. And he ends with this, a man who stirs up dissension among his brothers. Imagine that. Dissension, strife, offense in your heart is something the Lord hates. And look at somebody with a smile and say, you have no business doing what the Lord hates. I want to say it with some enthusiasm today. You have no business being involved in something the Lord hates. Well, there are untold consequences for walking in strife and offense. And I just want you to think about these for a moment today. Offense will stop revelation in your life. When's the last time God really deposited something powerful in your heart? Maybe you're not hearing from Him anymore. Matthew 15, 12, when you're offended, you can't receive from the Lord. <laughs> Apostles came to Jesus one day and said, Lord, you know when you said that, the Pharisees got offended. You know Jesus didn't even respond to that? In other words, the truth does offend somebody who's not teachable. Offense will stop your restoration. How many want the full restoration of everything God has for you? You can't afford to get into strife even for a moment. Offense will stop your giving. You'll stop sowing because you're offended. Do you know, if you're a pastor, you know a few things? Okay, thank you for your enthusiasm over that revelation. My next question is, what are you doing here? <laughs> the pastor doesn't know anything. But he's, he's watched a few things through the years. And I can tell you that the moment a heart gets offended, now there are some people that never have and maybe they never will get a revelation about being a sower and a giver and a tither and all the blessings that go with it. Say, I have tithers' rights, I have sower's blessings. But some will never get that and so they never did. So there's, there's no marker if they stop doing But when you see somebody faithful and constant and consistent and then they stop 99.99% of the time when they stop giving, it's because they have gotten offended over something. I had a leader one time in this church and they wanted to make financial policy and tell everybody how to do everything. This is the way it's supposed to be done. And uh, so I just asked our uh, business manager, uh, this is a leader. They're supposed to be giving 
Are they giving consistent with leadership? No, they don't give anything. When's the last time they gave anything? Uh, 18 months ago. When you stop giving, it's not because you had a revelation. More often than not, you're offended or put out with something. Now, I want to encourage you today, don't let this be the case in your life. These are just markers for you, but you will stop giving. And if you stop giving, as Timothy so powerfully taught, what's going to happen? You're going to stop reaping. So not only did your offense stop you from being a blessing, amen, to the kingdom of God, it stopped it from being a blessing to you. Say it, I'm a giver. Offense will stop loyalty. You've been loyal and faithful before, but ooh, a little bit of offense got in there, and then all of a sudden you're cutting people off from your life, left and right. That's not what God wants. Offense will stop your prayer life. Offense will stop your teachability. Can't receive from them. Can't receive from this person. Well, you know what? If you'll realize that every person who's ever been called to the ministry is flesh and human, uh, then there's no one that's ever been called to do any kind of ministry, fivefold ministry or support ministry, lay ministry, it doesn't make any difference what you call it. No one has ever been called that has been perfect, except for one. One sent one named Jesus. Perfect. Everybody else you got to put up with. Their humanity. And the Christian given to offense and to strife will say, I spy a little humanity in that person. Therefore, I don't have to receive from them anymore. It's just a badge of strife and offense operating in your life. Come on, say it. No more offense here. here. Offense will stop your development. Mark 4. Offense will stop your anointing. Mark 6, 5. Jesus, the power of God was present to heal. But guess what? If you're not in a receiving mode, you're not going to receive it. If you take that offense further, you'll absolutely get belligerent about it. And the Bible says that when Jesus, even around those that knew him, they didn't honor him as a prophet. Amen. They didn't. And he couldn't do very many miracles or healings except he healed a few folk. That's a sad thing. Another story, the Pharisees are there. And how many of some of them old men needed some healing? And the power of God was present to heal the sick. Other people were getting sick. The man that was lifted down from the ceiling not only got forgiven, he got healed instantly. And instead of them coming and receiving their salvation and receiving their healing, they grumbled. Who in the world does he think he is that he can forgive sins? Well, guess what? When you're God, amen. And the proof is, of course, the power of God that operated in his life. There are people like that so offended, they offense themselves right out of the anointing of God. Others get involved with with offense and it stops the blessing in their life. I'm telling you what, once you get the revelation of the blessing, you don't want to lose it because you got upset with somebody. Can I have a better amen than that? The favor of God is open doors and opportunities. The blessing of God is the power to succeed in any door you walk through, but it won't work if you're walking around offended and put out all the time. Offense stops the blessing. Offense stops our influence. Why? Because we'll be known by our love. That's where our influence is actually at. It stops so much. In fact, when you think about this, nothing but loss comes from offense and strife. Loss of vision, anointing, future, destiny, blessing, miracles, healings, relationships, meaning in life, purpose in life, 
Everything that we hold true and valuable as believers in the New Testament era is compromised by strife and offense. Turn to somebody and tell them, you know, it's just not worth it. Tell somebody else, it's just not worth it. In John chapter 12, this woman that some consider to be unclean or compromised, it took this very expensive bottle of perfume, broke it and took it and anointed Jesus with it. And some people just kind of stood back and watched this, but we know for her heart she was pure and she wanted to worship the Lord. And we now know because of what the Bible says that he was being anointed even for his death. A very important thing. If he doesn't die and rise from the dead, you and I are still in our sins. Kind of a little detail here that's very important that what she was doing. And there's a man named Judas there watching all this. Scoffing. That could have been sold and given to the poor. The Bible says because he was a treasurer and he was also a thief, that's partly his motivation. But you could just see the insolence, the disgust, the treatment of his Lord in that setting. And at that moment, he became offended and he became strifeful towards the Lord himself. It's no surprise one day when he sat at the Lord's table that he was literally possessed by the evil one. And that's why I'm telling you that offense and strife is dangerous. You open up that door, you could end up further down the road than you ever dreamed before. All because of strife and offense. I'm not saying you're going to get possessed by the devil, but I'm going to tell you this. It is not going to go well for you and you are not going to live God's best living in offense and strife. Judas should not be your example. And if you're one of those that get put out over material things and put out over money, be careful you're aligning yourself with the wrong one. Align yourself with Jesus, the giver, amen, not the taker. Stop playing around with strife and offense. You have no idea how dangerous it really is. In Hebrews 12, 15, we're told, See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God, and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. What happens when somebody gets offended and somebody gets into strife? Is there something about the nature of it? They just want to share it with other people. Amen. Now, how many just listen to the list I said of things that are compromised when you get into offense and strife? Raise your hand if you were listening. All the things you lose if you get into offense and strife. So the dumb person after hearing that will get into strife. But there's one person dumber than the dumb person who gets into strife. It's a person that allows somebody else to help get them into strife by sharing their strife with them. Look at somebody and tell them, keep it to yourself. It's a bitter root that grows up and defiles what? Many. And this is how this works. Today, we know that scientists have the ability to chemically and through various enzyme processes actually inhibit or stop the metamorphosis of certain species of creation. Now, that's pretty powerful when you think about it. I hope it's out in time for mosquito amen uh, season here. But there are poisons in the spirit realm that do the same thing to the development of the believer. And one of those poisons is offense, bitterness, and strife. You can't afford to have it. And I'll tell you, you do not want to be standing before the Lord one day and say, you know what, you got bitter, offended, and strifeful, and that you let all these other people come in as well. Some people get excited and brag about how many people they've gotten into strife and bitterness, how many people they can alienate from other Christians and other believers and other ministries. No, you want to be the person that's building up other people. Does that make sense? So when somebody tries to spew that poison on you, 
Just simply say, no, I think I'll take my transformation. Thank you very much. I'll take my blessing and my anointing and my healing and my victory. You can keep that and you and the Lord can deal with that. But I'm not entering into this with you. There's too much going on. God has too much planned for me in the year of transformation. I'm not going to get bitter and put out and strife laden. And uh, through the years, I've, I've watched people say things like, uh, oh, no, I'm, I'm not bitter. I'm not offended. You need to tell your tone in your face that. <laughs> Amen. Romans 16, 17, I appeal to your brothers to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. And one of the words, we're taught the pure word of God, the milk and the meat. And there's someone comes around to compromise that with strife and offense. Just don't take the bait. Turn to somebody and say, I've got too much going on. I've come too far to take that bait. Say it in Jesus' name. My transformation is going to continue. Amen. I want to say no strife here. Say it again. No strife here. In Jesus' name. I want you to turn with me over to uh, Matthew 18. I want to read a portion of the scripture with you. We know what the foundation for offense and strife is. We know the consequences of offense and strife. And I'm going to talk to you today about how to be victorious over this. Keep this poison out of your life and keep your transformation moving forward. Thank you, Lord. The first thing I want to point out to you is who is speaking in this scripture? Who's talking? All right. Y'all agree this is Jesus? Yes. And Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who, is, who sins against me? Up to seven times? <laughs> Look at the mentality there. When I get to the eighth time, I can let them have it. <laughs> Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. What? It seems, to in, it seems to me that Jesus increased the threshold, right? Yeah. So if you get to that one time after that threshold, now you can walk in unforgiveness towards that person. No. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like, this is how the kingdom of God operates. Note this. This is Jesus talking. This is the way it is in the kingdom of God. He wanted to settle accounts with his servants, and as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold, look at somebody and say, that's a lot of gold, man, <laughs> was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I'll pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. When that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. Now, how many think that that great merciful act should bestow some kind of change in heart in this person? It did not. And he went out and found this person that owed him how much? Regardless of the coinage and the, and the translation, about $20 versus a million dollar debt that he was forgiven. 
He found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged to be patient with me and I'll pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw how, uh, how the, what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Should you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Say it with me, all he owed. And how long would it take you and me to pay back all we owe him? Eternity. Now listen to this statement, because we already agreed. Everybody say, this is Jesus. And he's talking about the kingdom of God. So when he makes this statement, he's not mincing words. You can't dismiss this. You can't pretend it doesn't exist in the Word. This is how my Heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. How many still believe the Word of God is true? Do you believe that? I want you to write this down because this is going to just help you stay out of strife and offense. Are you ready? First of all, choose to be mindful. Mindful of what? Mindful of what you have been forgiven of by God. Ephesians 4.32 tells us, and become useful and helpful and kind to one another, tender-hearted, compassionate, understanding, loving-hearted, forgiving one another readily and freely as God in Christ forgave you. He's saying that you have been blessed with great Benefit, and that benefit is forgiveness. Do you know that your record is not used against you? Come on, say, my record is expunged. What you have done is forgiven. But by the same token, he's expecting you to bestow that to people who have wounded or injured you. And so when I say this, choose to be mindful of what you've been forgiven, not to condemn yourself, but when you have an inclination to hold a grudge, get bitter, get offended, get put out, get into strife, stop right there. Come on, say it. Stop. stop. And then start counting all the things you've done against the Lord. Amen. And don't stop until you're done. Mm. Yep. I promise you, after about an hour of that, you're not going to be interested in judging your neighbor, your brother, your sister for what they have had in their lives. You choose to be honest about your own life because we think that the distance between us and somebody else is so great. How about the distance between you and the Lord in terms of applied holiness in your life? When you do that, real quickly you're going to get tenderhearted when you realize how much He has forgiven you. Amen? Say, we've been forgiven much. And the Bible says the one who has been forgiven much should what? According to Scripture, loves much. But that's not always the case. I run into scenario after scenario where people have been graphically forgiven, restored. And somewhere along the line, they decided that if anybody offended them or did something to hurt their feelings or whatever, went crosswise with what they thought, they were not going to give them the same kind of mercy and grace. Now, what you need to do is when you get tempted to get offended, 
Just choose to be mindful of what he's forgiven you of. And let's face it, in this room are some world-class Christian sinners. Amen. You have been down that road. But isn't it amazing how much we forget what we have done? We take on the mantle of unforgiveness and take on the mantle of bitterness towards somebody else. Look at somebody say, I don't blink now, but I think he's talking about you. Yeah. Be mindful of what you have been forgiven of in the past. Number two, choose to be thankful for the grace you've been shown. Instead of getting offended and bitter, you begin to thank him for everything that he has done. In Luke chapter 17, one of those lepers came back and guess what they said? The Bible says he threw himself down before the Lord and he couldn't thank him enough. It's amazing that when you're operating in gratitude and thankfulness for what God has done for you, the grace shown you, you're not interested in messing with other people. Amen. You're just thrilled about the grace given you. The time you were healed, the time he prospered you, the time he delivered you, the time he forgave you, the time you had no peace in your life, the time it seemed like everybody turned their back on you, but God was there for you. When you are thankful and grateful, you don't have time to be everybody else's judge. In fact, I've watched this correlation throughout my entire ministry. The most judgmental, hateful, spurning, offended, strife-laden Christians I know are also these happen to be the most unthankful. You stop right there in your tracks and you say, God, I thank you for the air I breathe. I thank you, Lord, I have a place to lay my head. I thank you I have something to drive. I thank you that I have food on my table. I thank you I have a job. I thank you I have people in my life that love me. I tell you what, you get so thankful, you won't have time to be the judge of anybody else. Amen. Now, it's one thing to say, yeah, strife's terrible. It'll ruin everything in our life. It's another thing to learn how to stay out of it. First is be mindful of all he has forgiven you of. And second of all, be thankful to a fault. Absolutely thanking him for everything. And not just yourself, but in terms of other people. Amen. Raise your hand if somebody has really rubbed you raw in the wrong way in the past couple of years. Just raise your hand. Just be honest about it. Probably everybody in this room. Amen. You want to raise it up high? Somebody has rubbed you raw. Amen. And the rest of you are living in a bubble somewhere. Amen. <laughs> a bubble of interpersonal perfection. <laughs> you know, do you know that that's not the only thing that person is capable of, is hurting you? Do you know there's more value to that person than what you're ascribing? I've had some characters I've run across. Um, I mean, honestly, I, I, I've been through some things in ministry, particularly when I was younger, that should have taken me out like thousands of other young ministers across the country. Kayla will tell you of kids that came in from all over the country to CBC who had their first experience, and that was it. They had all they could handle with that ministry. And they're selling cars and insurance and doing whatever, and that's up to them and the Lord. You know, everybody has to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. But my very first ministry experience, I'm about to say my very first. We're in a little town south of Springfield, Missouri, and the pastor needed somebody to help with young people. And so it was just a Wednesday and Sunday kind of a thing. So we decided to do it. And uh, they all decided it'd be fun to take a, a canoe trip one day down a river. And so we did. And he wasn't really into a lot of horseplay. It made his, his feelings kind of known about that. But his, his board was kind of playful, and they had other ideas. 
And so uh, when they got to a certain place on the river, they decided <laughs> that they would have some fun with him. And uh, they start rocking his canoe. And the only thing I am glad of, I was not in his canoe, amen? And I was not rocking the canoe. They tipped him over. And I watched this man of God get so mad that he thrust his forearm against the side of the canoe and shattered the bones in there. That's bad enough. Amen. I'm thinking, man, that's a Moses struck the rock moment right there. <laughs> but me, Lord. <laughs> but that wasn't the bad part, the worst part. The worst part is he told everybody at our national headquarters where I also worked that I broke his arm. With a river full of witnesses, and the truth is, he got so mad he did this. And now when you're a young preacher thinking, you're not even out of school yet, how is this going to play? If at the national headquarters, they think that the guy that this guy hired was a raving lunatic and broke his arm. I'm sitting at a dinner table one day with a missionary and his wife and, and them and Kelly, and, and he's telling this story right in front of my face of how I broke his arm. Um, well, at that point in time, I wanted to break his other arm. <laughs> I just, work, work in progress. <laughs> I didn't. And if, if not that, what you want to do is find everybody he's talking to and tell them the truth. I've not been in this very long. I'm very, very young, chronologically very young in the ministry. And I know the Lord is saying this to us. Just be quiet. Let the Lord handle this. You just continue to walk in love and peace and mercy. And, and, you know, I think he's probably thinking that I should have jumped on all these guys and done something else, beat them up. Or I don't know what he expected me to do about that situation, you know. But uh, I, just, I just listened to the Lord and let it ride. And I, I started realizing that every person he, he would say something to, it was falling on deaf ears like you couldn't believe. Um, and then... One of his friends, very good friends, calls me up, knowing the full story, and asked me if I would join his staff. And I just looked at heaven like, you really can take care of people, can't you? <laughs> that in the end, you just what? You stay in love. Now, here's the bottom line. If you're not careful, all you think about is a guy that got completely out of control in the flesh and did something, and then blamed somebody else for it. And that's the only redeeming value that person has. Or you can stop and be thankful for every other area of his life. He happens to be a good daddy, and a, and a godly husband, and a wonderful communicator. The sad part is, probably the best gospel communicator I've ever sat under in my entire life. That's how good he was. He was commencement speaker at CBC. But this particular issue has a way, if you're not careful, of clouding every other thing you would think about a person. That's exactly how we get into strife and offense as Christians. Instead of doing that, stop and thank God for every redeeming value in that person's life, every good thing in that person's life, every wonderful thing in that person's life. And I promise you this, you'll stay out of offense. You're getting offended because you're zeroing in on that one thing. I wish I could say as a pastor, I passed that test and I never had to go through it ever again. But guess what? You go through it your entire life on this earth. Come at you again and again and again and again. And I am telling you this because these things work. 
You start by thinking about all you have been forgiven of, but then you move very quickly. When you have been hurt, you start talking and thinking about all the wonderful things that person is. Now, Pastor, what if it takes me some time to figure one out? You keep working on it. That's a whole lot better than getting into offense and strife. Years ago, I was at Branson in a uh, victory campaign. I thought, well, I'll just go up and try to contact this guy, see how he's doing. And he barely would even take my phone call. Amen. Now, this is 1988 to about 2013 or 14. Stuck. That's where offense and strife gets you. Here's the reality. You're going to do things that are stupid and dumb. And you're going to hurt people. And people are going to do the same thing to you. The only question is how are you going to deal with it? Amen. There's sometimes in life you're going to feel like you got something clanking in the back of your back because you've been stabbed in the back so many times. What are you going to do? I'll tell you what you're going to do. Instead of thinking about what that person did or said, you're going to think about all the redeeming values they have. And let the Lord deal with with the rest of it. Can I have a better amen than that today? Amen. Come on and say it. I'm going to thank God for everything good in their life. Because I tell you, if they're really born again, they're not the sum total of that one situation. It's up to them to let God deal with them and handle that thing appropriately, but that is not the sum total of their life. And that's what the devil begins to tell us. They're just a horrible, terrible, evil, wicked person. And then you start having thoughts like, I'm surprised they're still above ground. I've been guilty of that one. To work and do things to undermine the kingdom of God and how are you still breathing? I can tell you this. It's not up to us to judge them. But I am telling you the days of Ananias and Sapphira are returning to the church for those who had damaged the work of Jesus Christ and oppose what he is doing. You do it at your own risk. And the reason you're doing it is because you're offended and you're full of strife. You got to get rid of that stuff. Amen. Could you imagine one man comes in and they have a funeral and then spouse comes in and they have another funeral? How many of you think that probably hindered church growth when people find out when people go to that church, they die? <laughs> don't, don't mistake God's mercy and long-suffering nature for he'll put up with this forever. He won't do it. Come on, say it with me. I'm going to look for the good and thank God for it. I'll tell you what, it will temper the hurt you had from that person in the first place. Amen. What am I doing? I'm thinking about all the things God's forgiven me of, all the times I blew it, all the mistakes I made. You know, I love this story also that Happy Caldwell told. He said that uh, years ago when he was pastor, young pastor in Little Rock, Arkansas, he has, and still to this day, Agape is one of the most integrated churches anywhere in the country. It's a, he was supposed to do, uh, he was asked to do a funeral and that they could use the church as a black family. Somebody passed away, one of his families. And uh, he, at that time, wasn't having services, period. Uh, you know, funeral services, period, back then. He just had them all at the funeral home or whatever, graveside, whatever the case may be. And uh, he didn't realize it, but it was highly offensive to the people that he turned away. And uh, he found out that he actually had offended, in fact, those folks. And so he called people like Fred Price and others and said, you know what, what do I do? And Fred just told him, you really blew it. You don't understand. 
It goes, the African-American family, they're born in church, they live in church, they dwell in church, they die in church. It, that is the culture. That's the way it is. And here's what this man of God did. He called all the folks, all the black folks from his church and all their family together. He said, no white people are allowed in this meeting. And they came into the church service about 2 or 3 o'clock that afternoon. And he said, I just came here to apologize to you all that uh, I didn't understand how important this really was. And he goes, the next one of you die, we're going to have the funeral right here. <laughs> and uh, that put a healing balm in that situation. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? Everyone blows it. Amen. Let's not want to be judged by the totality of our lives and then judge somebody else by a sliver of time in their life. Amen. Glory to God. Let me finish this list with you today. Say it with me. I know how good he's been to me. I choose to be thankful for the others and what's good in their life. Choose, number three, to be aware. Aware of what? The condition of your heart day to day. You know, the Bible says in Psalm 119, great peace have they. They love your law and nothing can make them stumble. Nothing can get them offended. <laughs> Amen. Guard your heart, Proverbs 4, with what? All diligence for out of it flow the issues or the forces of life. Whose job is it to guard your heart? Yes. Whose job is it? It's our job to guard our own heart. What's going on in the condition of our own hearts? Be aware of what's going on in your heart and in your life. And I'll tell you this, when somebody has been spending vast amounts of time in the Word of God, they become more and more unoffendable. How many want to be unoffendable? Raise your hand. I mean, seriously, you want to be, spend more time than you ever have in the Word of God, and that transforming power will work on the inside of you. When I see somebody that's given over to bitterness, it tells me I know they've not been in the Word. Even if they claim, I'm in the Word, I'm in the Word. No, you're not in the Word. You might be in doctrine. You might be in somebody's book. You might be in somebody's video. You might be in somebody's you know, discipleship, but you're not in the Word because the Word would lead you not to be bitter, but to be gracious. Amen. And you guard your own heart. So if you're neglecting the Word of God, days, weeks, months, years, on end, you're not going to be able to be unoffendable. There are seven levels of offense that when I teach on this, I usually go over them in detail, but I'll give them to you and give you a tip. You want to become unoffendable. Amen. Amen. But let's just start there, where it's impossible for you to become offended because you've taken this thing seriously. That next level is where somebody has, you know, no tolerance for offense. Say that would be no tolerance. Say again, no tolerance for offense. How much? The next level is they're resistant to offense, but not quite there where they have no tolerance. Some folks aren't resistant to take offense. They are what I call quick to take offense. How many know that's a bad direction to be going in? The next level up is where they look for offense. Everybody say, look for offense. Um, you know, people really live that way. They're looking for a reason to get a chip on their shoulder. They're looking for a reason to get mad, to get ugly, to get put out. What a terrible way to live. 
And if they don't get to the place where they look and find something, guess what they'll do? They'll manufacture an offense. They'll create one that doesn't even exist. I don't know about you, but I don't want to live manufacturing offense, looking for offense, quick to be offended, resistant to offense. I don't want to have just, you know, a low threshold where I'm not tolerant. I want to get to the place where I'm unoffendable. Amen. Amen. Say it with me. I am unoffendable. Glory to God. Say it one more time. I am unoffendable. And you know what happens in that tension in your heart when something's not going right. That's when you deal with it and you deal with it swiftly. Say it with me. Through the word of God, I am protected well from offense. Let me give that list again to make sure I didn't leave any out for you. Not offendable is number one. No tolerance for offense is number two. Number three is resistant to offense. Number four is yielding to offense. That's the one I missed for you. It comes and you yield to it. Number five is quick to take offense. There's no time in between. You just jump all over it. Number six, looking for offense. And number seven, manufacturing offense. There's no place in our lives for this. Can I have an amen, church? <coughs> number four, choose to be gracious. Gracious to who? To others when they hurt you. Be gracious to them. Give them grace. Give them mercy. It's to your glory, the Bible says, to overlook an offense. James 1.19 tells us we're supposed to be what? Slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to become angry. Have you ever met somebody who is what? Slow to listen, quick to speak, and quick to take offense. That's just the opposite of what James says to be. Come on, say it with me. Quick to listen, slow to speak, quick to become unoffendable. Have you noticed that the one that's quick to speak is also one that's quick to be offended? Wow, revelation. Be gracious to people. They're going to blow it. Give them grace. How often should I give them grace? That's the wrong question. How often have you had grace? As long as the grace is still flowing in your direction, it needs to flow in the direction of other people who have hurt you. Number five, choose to be loving. That's the mark of a true believer. <laughs> Galatians 5, 6 says, For we are in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but only faith activated and expressed and working through love. Why stay in love? Because that's how your faith works. Come out of love. Your faith won't work. Faith works by love. 1 Peter 4, 8 tells us love covers a multitude of sins. What does love say? I know you sin, I know you blow, but I love you anyway. Isn't that a wonderful way to live? Amen. Amen. Proverbs 17, 9 from the NLT says, He who covers over an offense preserves love. But the most emphatic, and you know this is true, Scripture on the principle of love comes from what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13. If I can speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, then reasoning, intentional, spiritual devotion, such as is inspired by God's love in and for us, I am only a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. He goes on to talk about prophetic powers. He talks about mysteries and knowledge and faith. He talks about doling out food to the poor and helping them, surrendering the body to be burned or in martyrdom. 
and they are meaningless. He gains nothing if there's no what? All these things are stripped of their significance and they're stripped of their power if the love of God's not there. Amen? This is your victory day. I said, this is your victory day. You say, you know what? I've just lived all my life this way, Pastor. That's because you just needed some revelation on this particular subject. Not because you're a terrible person. He goes on to say, love endures long. Now watch this. This is just the, this is the exact opposite of offense and strife. Love does what? It endures long and is patient and kind. Love is never envious nor boils over jealousy. It's not boastful or vainglorious. does not display itself haughtily. It is not conceited, arrogant, inflated with pride. It's not rude and does not act unbecomingly. I don't care what you think right doctrine is or right practices in the house of God or whether you're right and everybody else is wrong. If you're rude in the process of expressing that, then you're wrong. Your doctor doesn't mean a thing. That's why the more revelation you get, the more humble you should be, not prideful. It's not conceited, arrogant, inflated with pride. It's not rude and does not act unbecomingly. Love, God's love in us, does not insist on its own rights or its own way, for it is not self-seeking, it is not touchy or fretful or resentful, married folk. <laughs> Say it with me. It's not touchy, it's not, touchy. not fretful. Not resentful. It takes no account of the evil done to it. What's it mean in the translations? No record of wrongs. You cannot keep a record of wrongs and walk in the love of God at the same time. This is exactly how offended people operate. In the back of their mind, just in case they ever need it, I'm going to pull out that gunny sack of what they did. And what that tells me is you're not walking in love. It tells me there's no way for a victory for you when you're keeping track of everything everybody did, everything everybody said, like it was against you or hurt you. No, it's time for you who have had their records expunged to expunge the records of everybody else. That was pathetically weak. So I'm going to try that one more time. How many of you glad that he expunged your record? Amen. There is no record of your wrongs against God anywhere. They don't exist. I'm not talking you were a juvenile and the court sealed your record. I mean, it's gone. Forgive as you have been forgiven. Expunge as you have had your record expunge. That's the love of God. That's the principle here. Make sure you understand the concept here. You're choosing to be loving. This is the mark of a true believer. I'm choosing to expunge the record. I don't have to be a prophet to know there are some records in this room that need to be expunged. But what if they do something else? Not your problem. Moreover, you can probably count on them doing something else wrong. Forgive as you've been forgiven. Expunge as your record has been expunged. No record of wrongs. 
Well, I can't do that, Pastor. Yeah, you can. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. And sometimes you verbalize this and sometimes nobody knows what's going on. But on the inside of your brain, on the inside of your thought life, you're nonstop about what they did and what they said or what they didn't do, what they didn't say right. And you have not expunged their record. Therefore, you're not walking in love. Therefore, your faith is not going to work. The reality is it is testimony of offense, not the love of God. And it's going to stop your transformation dead and cold in the year of transformation. What a sad thing that would be. I promise you this, there's not a thing that's happened to anybody in this room that is worth your transformation. Nothing. Not worth your blessing, not worth your anointing, not worth your victory. They're just plain not worth it. So it's time to expunge the record. Not think about it, not talk about it, not toy with it, but expunge their record permanently. And if you expunge it, you can't bring it up again next week. Amen. Well, that's a, that's a tall order. Yeah, it's called being a Christian. I have to expunge people's records. I have, to, I have no record of wrongs in their life. Yeah, that's exactly how this works. The Lord just uh, showed me this week the connection between um, open records and anxiety in the life of the believer. And we know in Scripture that we're not to be anxious about anything. But in all things by what? By prayer, supplication, thanksgiving. You make your request known to God. And we know the peace of God that passes all understanding. Amen. We understand that's available for us. Not anxiety, but peace. That's why Peter said, cast your cares upon the Lord. Because he cares for you. Anxiety is not God's will for you. But some of you go through these, these, these patches of life where you experience anxiety even to the point of panic and you don't know what's going on. You're born again, spiritually. You love God. You, you even got a measure of revelation on, on the word, the word of faith, on how this works, speaking right, even, even talking to that anxiety when it happens. Um, I'm just going to put this out there and then I'm going to just uh, you know, pray for you all. There, there are people that, that literally can't go to a dentist because people in their face causes them to go into an anxious fit. There are people that can't even sit in traffic because the sense of being trapped in that, in that traffic is overwhelming to them. And it just doesn't come as a thought you're trapped. It comes on the, on the wings of a spirit trying to dominate your life. Are you here today? There are people that, that it's not that they're afraid of flying and crashing. They can't stand to be cooped up in a closed environment with people on the right and on the left. And God help them if there's a delay on the tarmac. Very good and godly people deal with this stuff. And they try to medicate it and try to deal with it. And God doesn't want you to have to medicate that junk. He wants to eradicate it from your life. And a good place to start is is the quality of that love walk and make sure that everything you might have held against anybody is expunged. Just let it go. It's not a thing to be meditating upon because I'm telling you, it's not just thinking, right? You need to open up your mouth and come against that thing, but you also need to deal with the spirit that's behind that thing. There's some people that can't have medical tests because of being enclosed in different areas causes that anxiety to rise up on the inside of them. There's some of you just getting around certain people makes you very anxious, and you you think the answer is in that person when it's not in that person. 
It's in your own life. There are all kinds of evidences that we need to take this seriously about where we are and be honest about it with the Lord if something is there. If it's not, you can deal with that spirit. Amen. And force that thing to bow. All right, the reason I said this is because the, the prescriptions being handed out in this country for anxiety are at an all-time high. You know, best nation on the face of the planet, most prosperous nation in the history of mankind, and our people are being medicated nonstop. And now the process is trickling down to where we're dealing with kids the same way. Instead of dealing with the root issues, just give them some pills. Because we need a quick fix in that room, in that house, whatever it may be. We need that child to act a certain way. No, what we need is to apply the spiritual principles to living free, getting free, and living free. And have the authority to slam that door shut on the enemy and not open it up again. So I don't judge you. I know, I know people have, have told me they, they drive into a parking garage and they freak out. Because they're convinced that that thing's going to collapse before they get out of there. It's just the compression of space. Some folks can't stand to get in an elevator. Some of y'all thought you'd be jet pilots until you realized the enclosure. I mean, they put you in <laughs> before they flung you off the deck of an aircraft carrier. <laughs> you just can't handle it. I'm telling you, the Lord is compassionate towards you. I'm telling you, the Lord wants to bring healing and restoration to your life. There may not be a physical thing going on in your life, but there is this thing going on that uh, is, but, you know, in your mind, it needs, to, it needs to be that I'm done with this. You know, I've had enough of this in Jesus' name. Come on, say, I'm done with it. I'm done with it in Jesus' name. Make sure you guard your heart. Make sure you stay in love. Resist any temptation to come into a place, you know, of strife and of offense because it will absolutely shut down your transformation. Turn to somebody and say, I've come too far. Come on, say, I've come too far. I'm going to keep growing in Him. It's a year of transformation. Amen. Come on, say it in Jesus' name. My family, my marriage, my relationships, my money, my mind, my emotions, my body, my life, my work, my ministry, they're all being transformed in Jesus' name. And I will not compromise that for strife or offense in Jesus' name. Amen. Give the Lord a big hand clap if you can receive that today.